This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Well, thanks for tuning in. Our question today is, is it a sin to fail to understand a biblical principle? So is it is it sinful in and of itself to understand the Bible's teaching regarding any one particular subject? And uh, that's a good question. Um, I think a good place to start is 1 John 3, 4, where John describes or defines sin as lawlessness. He says sin is lawlessness and so that tells us that God's view of sin is as a violation of his law whether that violation happens in our hearts or in an act um, whenever we go against his will regarding anything and you know you just take the simple example of you know do not lie well then if I tell a lie then I've violated God's law in that regard so I have I have sinned whether or not I know that that is God's law or not or whether I understand it that's probably a poor example because that's pretty straightforward and simple to understand. But even if I, I think that the principle is still the same, even if I don't, uh, if I'm not aware of it, right? If I'm not aware of it, how can I understand it? But if I commit the act, uh, then I have sinned. And so sin occurs when we fail to do, um, when we fail to conform to God's, God's will, whether that be in a positive or, or negative respect. So, uh, there's different ways to violate God's law. We can violate God's law by by failing to act in some cases. And James 4.17 teaches us that if we know, James says, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, that is sin. So there's another form of lawlessness or breaking the law, uh, like the individuals in the parable of the, the Good Samaritan, uh, you know, the man who was, who was beaten and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. And Jesus describes two individuals who... Uh, just walk right by him, a priest and a Levite, and they don't do anything. You know, they just, what they do is they just keep walking, right? Well, that was wrong, right? So if I know the right thing to do and I don't do it, that is also defined as sin in scripture. And so, so a failure to understand any biblical principle is not sinful in, in and of itself. A failure, a failure to understand Bible teaching, of course, can and does result in sin, uh, but a failure to understand anything is not sin unless and until sin is committed. Uh, you know, for example, someone may be totally unaware of or not understand Jesus's teaching regarding marriage, um, but at the same time, in his or her own life, be in an acceptable marriage uh, before God. Uh, that is lawfully, you know, be married to someone who they lawfully, according to Christ, have a right to be, to be married to. Now that individual may still have sins. Um, if they're uh, certainly an unbeliever, they they have sins which need to be remitted and, and forgiven. Uh, but at the same time, they are not unlawfully, uh, sinfully living with the person that they're they're married to because they have a right to that individual. And so that's that's one example. And so, you know, a failure to acknowledge and interpret and understand biblical teaching ultimately results in sin. Um, it's incumbent upon us then to strive to understand God's word and uh, to take to take it seriously, to take that responsibility seriously and discipline ourselves to uh, to read his Bible. Right. Hosea four, six is where God says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Right? Because you have 
rejected me, so I will reject you from from being my my priests. And so they had failed in this regard. You know, they knew what their responsibility was, and and uh, God says you you've rejected this, and it's leading ultimately to your uh, destruction, both physical and spiritual. And so we have you know command after command and example after example telling us like Paul at Ephesians 5:10 uh learn to be pleasing to God in every respect. And so sin is committed either because we we don't understand God's word, you know, we we commit sin in ignorance or because we refuse to understand it. Um and and we want just to live on our own terms and that would be a rebellion. Uh, but either way, um you know, it's sin still has the same consequence. Uh, and I, I would add too that, you know, I think it's important to mention that the refusal to understand is itself sinful. The refusal to understand is is in itself sinful, and so it's not just an innocent kind of ignorance, if you will, in, in every single case. Um, but Jesus describes individuals in John chapter eight and verse forty. You know, he asked them the question. He says, "Why?" He says, "Why can't you understand what I'm saying?" And he says it's because you are of your father, the devil. And what he means by that, if you if you go in the context and, and you look at you know the, the whole conversation, what I believe he's saying is, is to these people is that you have your loyalty is in the wrong place, and because your loyalty is ultimately to the enemy and to, to evil, um, you have just shut yourselves out completely to the truth. And so, this was a, a willful blindness and, and a willful uh, refusal to understand. And so, you know, at best, it was an indifferent attitude towards Scripture. And at worst, we can see that people were just hostile to him. And that that in and of itself is is wrong. So a failure to, again, to um, to understand anything is is not necessarily sinful on on the part of an individual. Uh, but willful ignorance certainly is. And whether we're ignorant of the God's teaching on any aspect of our lives or attitude doesn't remove our accountability and we can still uh, sin even if we're unaware of what his his teaching is so again you know we we have to let the teaching of scripture be reinforced in our minds and also here you know the the exhortation that scripture gives us to um, to be proactive and to uh, be truth seekers and and handle the word of truth accurately right second timothy 2 15 you know, Paul says, you be diligent to present yourself to God um, as a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed and, and accurately handle the word of truth. And so uh, that that responsibility is 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 for all of us. And we have to take the initiative and and be diligent seekers and investigate for ourselves so that we know what God's will is in regard to any aspect of of our lives. And the follow-up question here is, does this apply to uh, religious practices as well? So um, the questioner, he's making a distinction here between, you know, a moral behavior, you know, like, like lying or stealing versus, you know, what someone does as a religious practice, maybe in their worship or how they worship or something like this. And uh, I think it's important to remember, first of all, that sin Again, going back to that original definition in First John three four, that sin is lawlessness, and so sin includes moral as well as religious 
attitudes and, and practices and teachings. And, and in fact, this is the very thing that um, that Jesus was um, ran up against most of the time. I'd say when we see him countering religious people in in the scriptures, Matthew fifteen nine, you know, is is a notorious example of that, where he says, um, you know, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, you hypocrites, because you you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. In vain, he says, in vain do you worship uh, me, teaching as doctrine the precepts of men. And so, you know, there, there in that case, uh, you know, the religious practices of those individuals was unacceptable. Jesus says specifically, you worship, you worship God in vain. And, and of course, that could be traced back to the issues that existed in their heart, um, that ultimately they uh, were, were beholden to their traditions and their, um, you know, their party. In that case, the Pharisees, I think, is the audience who he's, who he's talking to. Um, but but even further into the New Testament, as you get into the epistles, you see um, Paul uh, in, indicting brethren in local churches because they they weren't um, handling the commands in regard to what we you know what we would say from a human perspective as a religious practice, like observing the Lord's Supper, for example, in in First Corinthians chapter ten uh, and and eleven. Um, you know those. Christians in Corinth were, so they thought, observing the Lord's Supper, but it was, uh, it was wrong. It was the, the way that they were doing it was wrong, and their their attitude was wrong, and so that needed some, some correction. And so, you know, the wages of all sin is death, and Romans six twenty three teaches that, and unless it's repented of and forgiven through the blood of Christ, then that sin remains, and that's true for Christians as well as 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 unbelievers. And so sin then includes unauthorized religious practices as well, whether we're talking about an individual uh, religious practice or the, you know, a collective action of a local church, you know, um, spending its money to support something that, uh, that God has not authorized. That is, um, that would be sin. That, that would be a violation of his authority, a violation of his law. And so that is sin. And again, all sin ultimately leads to spiritual, eternal death. Now, but no sin puts anybody beyond the reach of God's grace. That's that's the good news. And it, and it remains good news. God is able to save whoever he wishes, and he has the power to do that. Hebrews 7.25, he's able to save forever those who draw near to God through Christ. But he's, he's taken the guesswork out of it. And he's clearly defined who he will save, Hebrews 5, 9. You know, we get the, the general statement there that Jesus is the source of salvation to all those who obey him. And, you know, we could talk, you know, we could go on all day about particulars and 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 that's, you know, where we have to investigate um, for ourselves about any given issue or religious practice or, or moral uh, behavior and we will make great strides toward that if we just remember first our personal responsibility to study and show ourselves approved and 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 continue to seek and not be satisfied with our current level of understanding or or try to use our lack of understanding as an excuse because you know to some extent everybody lacks understanding right if if we didn't if we didn't we wouldn't have the command in second peter 3 and verse 18 which says to grow in the grace 
and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, that will always be true for every Christian. It doesn't matter if they've been a Christian for 10 years or 100 years. That responsibility remains. And so that's the ideal. And ideals, the ideals of Christ will never be perfectly captured here in this life. And so it's a, it's a continual pursuit that, that should persist until, until we leave this world. And so, you know, I'm taking very broad strokes here um, with regard to, you know, who it is that God, God will save. Um, again, he's defined what that is, but it's more of a, a kinder quality of person that is uh, desirous of his, of his truth and he promises that those who are seeking will will find him and the answers that they're looking for uh if if it's something that he's seen fit to reveal that is uh you know there's there's some questions that i have that god didn't see fit to answer but the bible says that the hidden things re- belong to god and the revealed things belong to man and so that's where my focus and attention and your focus and attention needs to be on what on what he has revealed not what he hasn't. And many people, I think, wrestle with God uh, limiting himself when it comes to who he will save. Uh, but Second Timothy 2, verses 11 through 13, and, and many other passages, specifically verse 13 in that, in that text, teach us that God does limit himself in choosing who will receive mercy on Judgment Day. Right, so... Um, you know, maybe we're asking the wrong questions. You know, if we are looking uh, to use our ignorance or someone else's ignorance as as a justification for uh, their religious malpractice or their immorality or whatever, whatever specific example you may have in mind. Um, you know, our, you know our our question of how God will judge transgressions of revealed law. You know, misses the mark. I think in three three ways. First of all, if I'm asking the question um, because I'm trying to find out how lenient God is going to be with disobedience, well, then my heart's in the wrong place, and I need to be careful that my motivation isn't to discover how far I can push God before He says enough, because that that attitude in and of itself is something that God will not tolerate. Right? Not even you know, trying to discover an arbitrary line that people can draw and and then say, well, that's where God will say uh, enough and, and try to soothe my conscience. And, and that way, I'm saying that the question itself and the attitude if it itself is something that God condemns because it's it leads us to justify transgressing God's laws and saying, well, you can push the envelope this far, but, you know, you, you cross that line. Well, then that's that's enough. Well, that's just... That's that's the wrong attitude. And secondly, these questions cause us to begin drawing, you know, as I mentioned, our own lines instead of observing God's lines. And when we draw our own lines, those lines become movable. You know, if we justify one transgression, why not another? And then how many transgressions are we going to justify? Logically, we do it all of, to, for all sin. You know, where does it end? And, you know, do we just need to own up to the fact that we're simply being rebellious. And so the appropriate question is, I think, is what is pleasing to God? And that fits the context of Ephesians 5.10. Learn to be pleasing to Him in every respect. 
And so that should drive me and, and you to say, okay, what, what, what is that? How can I be pleasing to him and more pleasing to him? Not, not what can I get away with and, and will my ignorance uh, justify me or somebody else? You know, the, the good news is, is that he's offered his mercy to all people. And any accountable person can learn and understand how to be reconciled to God. And that's what he wants. Second Peter 3 and verse 9 tells us that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so I think we, we struggle with this because we, we become so focused on the problem. And, and the problem is, is that there are so many sincere people out there who are lost. And, and, and maybe they don't even know it. Maybe they're they're balled up in religion, you know, that Jesus describes in Matthew 15 or you know, in violation of some text that we're aware of. And, and we're reasoning that they're so sincere and we, we are, our, our conscience is convicted for them because we can see biblically that their practice isn't aligned with what Scripture is teaching. And so they're wrong and they're doing some unauthorized. And then, you know, if, if we're sincere and also wrong, then we're in the same boat as other sincere people. And so we, we begin to have all these doubts, um, and, we, and we begin to doubt our own, I think, fellowship with God. And that I think that leads us to and tempts us to to, um, to compromise, maybe our own convictions, and, 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 and start drawing lines uh, where we have no business drawing them. When what we really need to do is just be honest with ourselves and be honest with other people about what the Bible teaches. Instead of exalting their sincerity... You know, I think that's a virtue that's overrated. It is important to be sincere, and that's certainly what we want in ourselves and in others. But there's a lot of sincere people in Scripture who were lost. Paul the Apostle, when he was Saul of Tar- Tarsus, one of the sincerest, most convicted people you would have ever met, but he was wrong. And so sincerity is important, but it's not it's not the whole picture. And if we exalt sincerity, if we if we exalt the sincerity of somebody's heart, which we can't read perfectly anyway, it's not really our job to. Um, our, again, our our job is to be a pillar in support of the truth. You know, we don't legislate, we don't execute, we don't. Uh, we're, you know, we, no judicial authority, final judicial authority doesn't rest with us. We, we're to uphold the truth and proclaim it. Be honest with people about what it says and be honest with ourselves about what it says and conform to it. And when we lose sight of that goal, we usually go in a couple of different directions. Um, if we lack conviction of what the Word of God says, then we're just going to broaden our scope in our minds of who is saved. And even if the Word of God says otherwise, just so we can feel better about everything. Or we decide that we simply can't know for certain and we just give ourselves wholly to subjectivity and relativity uh, so that we can just go the popular route and agree to ignore error, which is by and large what happens in the, in the religious world. And even, you know, take a stand and say we're unified because we're agreeing to ignore error. But biblically, we need to understand that uh, Jesus never preached unity that was founded upon agreeing to ignore error. Right? It's in John 17, it was about that particular person or people who would be sanctified in truth, right? So that implies people who desire truth and will be satisfied with nothing less and will continue to pursue truth. And as they, as they do that, 
as individuals, they come together in unity. And so that's how we avoid making these, these two critical mistakes. First, we have to reaffirm our commitment to God and to his sovereign authority. If we're going to shake any doubts that we have, then we have to understand and reinforce that no one is saved based on anything other than what God has revealed in his word. It is God who makes the determination of who will be saved, and he's been gracious enough to reveal both the means, which is his son, the sacrifice of his son, and he's been gracious enough to reveal the conditions wherein we can take advantage of that sacrifice. And his standard of judgment, he's revealed that also, so that we can have confidence. John twelve forty eight. Jesus says, anyone who rejects me has one who judges him. The word that I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. Right, so that should that should make an impression upon us about what our relationship to his word should be, not as an academic exercise and not for just knowledge for knowledge's sake, but because through it we draw near to him because it reveals him and it reveals his standard and it reveals his will and his love for us and so many so many of these wonderful things. And secondly, we have to remember that God sets the boundaries of his grace. His authority and grace go hand in hand. And in recognizing his authority, we recognize the boundaries of his grace. And we can do that at the same time realizing that we're not the final judge. If I read the scripture and I come to an honest conclusion about what God says I need to do, well, then I can necessarily infer that's what others need to do, too, and I just be honest with others about that, knowing that God is the final judge. But at the same time, approaching them with the assurance that God is a God of his word. And I can say, look here, book, chapter, and verse, this is what he says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, and you will receive the forgiveness of sins. And either you have or you haven't done that to enter into fellowship with him. And then I can look and I can see in other scriptures what he says about any given issue about the Lord's Supper or worship or, you know, how, how I should live or treat my wife or treat my children or, or people I work for or work with and so on and so forth. And I can hold myself and others accountable based on that standard. Again, all the time knowing that I'm not the final judge. God is. But I know what his standard of judgment is going to be. And that's what I have to share. And so the more we immerse ourselves in his word and the more we submit to his authority, the more we're going to humbly submit to his judgment and avoid shifting boundaries of grace around both for ourselves and others. So I hope this has been a helpful study. It has been for me. and I appreciate you tuning in and, and listening. Feel free to ask any questions and I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Please continue to study these things and pray about them. I'm Jason Garcia and this has been Faithful Sayings.